I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the My Week in Cars podcast uh, from Autocar with me, Matt Pryor, and him, Steve Cropley. Morning, Stephen. Hi, Matthew. How's it going? Very well, mate. Very well. You join us inside the club room, they call this, I think, don't we? At Vista Heritage. Yeah. Which is 10 years old today, as we record, which is the 27th of March. And later on in the podcast, we're going to be talking to Dan Gagan from, who's the CEO and founder of Bista Heritage and Bista Motion. Um, but for the next half an hour or so, Steve and I are also going to be talking about our respective autocar columns. You can write to us, autocar at haymarket.com. Kerry Buckley has done that, Steve. And uh, Kerry says, we talked about the Austin Maestros last week, which was yeah. the 40th <laughs> anniversary. Kerry says he uh, it, it takes him back to a summer job in the mid-1980s, a casual job at a BL dealer. The recollection of the gear change in Maestros was like the H pattern went from northwest to southeast instead of north south. Consequently, I spent a lot of time going from second to fifth. I recall somebody at the time telling me it was a Volkswagen gearbox. I didn't know that. I believe the the internals were VW. It was one of the boasting points of remember that was um, followed the Maestro at the time. Uh-huh. We all expected that to mean that it would have a gear change like a Golf, and of course it didn't. <laughs> Uh, I also remember the digital speedo, says Kerry, and voice warnings on the MG Maestro. That was way ahead of its time for all the wrong reasons. Well, I mean, now you can't move for digital speedos and voice. Yeah. Voices I, in cars, can you? That's true. But I know I think it was quite interesting and well resolved. And so no, I just I can't remember whether it was reliable or not. But mm. I, I think it worked all right. Yeah. Uh, finally, Kerry says the dealership had a triumph acclaim as a pool car. Now, I do remember one of those because a bloke down the end of my road had one, which yep. is a Honda Ballad. Our own Matt, Bri- uh, Matt uh, Saunders had one. Did he? Oh, he did. That was his first car, car, wasn't it? Nailed. Yeah, 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 absolutely right. He, he boasts about it now. Yeah, that was a sublime drive. If British Leyland slash Austin Morris slash Jaguar Land Rover Triumph slash Rover had consistently built cars like that, its future could have been quite different. Says Kerry. Well, thanks for the note. Really appreciate it. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Um, Steve, let's talk your column. This week starts with the fun driving season, not starting at the Geneva Motor Show this year, but at Goodwood a couple of, uh, a few days ago. Yeah, there was a, um, I always missed Geneva. Mm. Um, and I always thought of it as, as being a sort of starting gun for a lot of the interesting stuff we do. And, uh, but this year it fell to Goodwood who put on a thing called the Media Drive Day. There were about 15 different brands there. Um, and you were able to drive the car that you, cars that you were interested in. And I had a go in a few. Um, things that I hadn't been in before, that the Baston DBX 707, awesome machine. Massive but awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Ineos Grenadier was interesting because they had a bit of a little off-road course. Mm. It was good. I haven't driven a Grenadier. I've, I've spent very little time anywhere near one. What's it like? Well, I think it's an impressive piece of work. It, it 
given that it's their first attempt at anything, mm. I think it's remarkable. The um, there's a lot of things that are really surprising. The the uh, <clears throat> it's it's much more usable than an old style one ten. You know, better door, better access, just more refined and all the rest. But you know, modernised. Yeah. The interior design, fabulous. I really love all the switchgear and so on. Completely different from, um, you know, cars in the patch. Lots of roof you know, console stuff going on, which I like. Um, I was impressed by dynamics too. It it um, it rides well off road, well damped. You know, a fetish for damping. Mm. Um, lots of traction seemed to me. The the big um, stumbling block to me was the steering, which. Um, was very old school. Reminded me when I used to drive a truck in northern Queensland mm. in Australia. So lots of wheel winding, minimised by the fact that it's a fairly small wheel, but still lots of wheel winding. And the thing is you had to supply your own self-centering. So you know how these days with, um, you know, the, the power steering systems we're used to, you you put some lock on and, it, and then you just get to, to kind of help, help the thing self-centre. Yeah. In this case... You, you you go through a ninety degree turn. You have to remove that lock, otherwise oh, it will keep turning. That's weird, isn't it? These and it, it it just feels old school. Mm. And I I'm amazed, given that they've covered so much ground in so many areas in other ways. You know, brackets, lovely BMW engine and all that. Mm. That this steering is got under their guard. Is it electric? It must be an electric power steering unit, must it? Yeah, I think so. But but it's um, it's I don't I think it's an I should know more about this. I don't. Well, I wonder, whether it, I wonder whether it's tuned in. Is what I mean to be. To, maybe, maybe they want it to be like that rather well, than a mechanical. Somebody said so, but yeah. it, you know, one of the one of the company rep blokes said that that it was deliberate and and. Uh, but then, what what, if, well, they, what are you going to say? Suppose, yeah, yeah, that's unusual. I think it needs improvement. Mm. What's the so the interior? I like the idea of an interior with a lot of buttons. Yeah. I was with a manufacturer last week. I won't, I can't say who it is yet because it's under embargo for. A while, but their chief designer was like, "No, we really like touch screens. We think it's beneficial. We think that's better than buttons. This cabin has one button in it, and I think that's appalling. Yeah. No, I think it's really poor. But I did wonder whether the Grenadier had because it's got lots, hasn't it? It's got loads. Is yeah. It too, is it is it fiddly? Is it too? Is it uh, is it overkill or is it all right? well? You you've got to get to know it clearly. But uh, but it is they're they're all very well spaced and you you know you can operate it with your gloves on and all that sort of stuff yeah. you know? i i liked it um but then you remember we were talking about the jeep just the other day mm. and what was a joy about that was that everything that needed to be varied could be varied with a knob yeah and everything that was just on or off was 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 worked by either touching the screen or a touch switch yeah and i think that it's the, it's that business of of needing to vary things that that's where you need a knob and the world needs knobs. Yeah, 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 totally. Good coin of phrase. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was in a um, uh, was I driving recently? It had it had steering wheel buttons on the back of the wheel. Oh yeah, and so that you could tell what they did, they were textured differently because of course you will never be able to see it. So then the designers have thought, well, we better given you can't see it, we better make sure that you can feel what it is. Why don't I? What I don't understand is why that. I know it looks scruffy. It can look scruffy if you're not careful. But the idea that we don't apply the same logic to buttons on the dashboard really bothers me. It yeah. really bothers me. You know, the idea that you should look away from the road for what maybe several seconds to 
press the heated seats on a on a touchscreen. I yeah. find it infuriating. And I think we've all had enough moments, so, sort of messing around trying to find um, incoherent controls at cars. You know, I I confessed in the magazine a while ago, and I clouted a curb in the, in in the Astra because I was messing around with the with the, with the central screen. I should, you know, it wasn't the screen's fault really because I shouldn't have done it, but. Would have been easier if, if there had been knobs. Yeah, yeah. Had, the, had there been a different controller for it, it would have been fine. Anyway, yeah. we digress slightly. Part two uh, from your column, the new Ford Explorer. Was I liked it. Unveiled last week, was it? Pretty yeah. Cool. yeah. Um, I was, you know, vocal, whinging at Ford for killing the Fiesta. Yeah. Um, and I still think that it's a hell of a thing to do to, to get rid of your entry-level car and replace mm. it with something that's you know, getting on for double the price. But having seen the car realised in the flesh and driving along and all that video and so on, did see it briefly in the in the, in the three dimensions, I thought it was good because it was a Ford. Mm. And, and it, uh, I've just got a, a bit of a, a nose for what I believe is a Ford and isn't a Ford. And this seemed to conform okay to me. Um, as I was saying, my, my grandfather was a, Ford dealer in the middle of Australia many years ago sold Model T's and Model A's and I was brought up with one to be critical of Ford when they don't do it well but mm. also to have a pretty fine nose for what is a Ford and what isn't. What makes it a Ford? I don't know. Is is a Mustang Mach-E a Ford? Um, I guess so. It's the name that's the big issue for me but mm. I can see why they've done it. Yeah. And <clears throat> having said you know, they announced years to run that they were going to use the, the big Ford names to to draw attention to their electric um, range and then duly doing it. And there's this thread now, isn't there, that uh, the next version of that um, that VW-based EV is going to be called a Capri. Yes, uh, this is a VW-based Yeah, this is, a, this is an ID3 underneath. Yeah. So what's the, is this smaller than a Mustang Mach-E or is it? Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Okay. So, so that's where it sits in the range. Yeah, the Mustang Mach-E is, is, a, is a pretty large and opulent, fat American car. Right. The, the, um, the expedition is, is um, Explorer, beg your pardon. Sorry, no, confuse me for a sec. Sorry. Explorer expedition. Explorer. Yeah. Is um, not quite four and a half meters long. Oh, okay. So... Focus just you know an inch longer than a focus chair. Okay, because it looks quite large in pics. Because I've yeah. only seen it in two D pics, and it looks quite big. And also, it's called Explorer, which made me think. Well, because the last time we got an Explorer in the UK, it was a US based SUV, I think, wasn't it? Ford. Yeah, and that was a big fat. And car. that was a big fat yeah. car. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, it, it, I think I can see it working, mm. and there's also going to be some good power options. Three of them, I think: four wheel drive, two wheel drive. No, and and you know I, I I like the proposition. I can see it fitting into people's lives, but I still regret that there is no entry level for. Yeah, I do. Yeah, because it's especially as a Ford of Europe, it strikes me that a lot of countries think that Ford is their own, don't you? Do you know what I mean? I mean, I know Ford is not an English company, but it feels like a British company. Yeah, but, you know, because I don't know. It just it just. It well, just it was the first the export market, wasn't it? Sorry, the first manufacturing market after uh, America. Okay, and I think. You know, something Model Ts were made here from something like 1911. You know, really, 
early. Yeah. So it fe- it feels to me like Ford should have a British friendly, European friendly entry hmm. small car. And I mean, this is European designed and intended. Hmm. So that's another reason I think it works. Yeah. Of course, there is, you know, there's, there's, uh, there are other cars. The Puma is going to be electrified, and that's mm. a bit smaller. They, they will tout that as their entry level car, but it'll be some money. Mm. Yeah. What isn't? What isn't? What isn't? Um, yes. Well, what one which is you also uh, the other day drove a Lotus Emira. Is that your first game? Yes, proper. Mm. I, I'm, you know, I've been around the block in one before, but uh, this was in fact at Goodwood. Yeah. And um, I sort of tried to, to assimilate as much as possible and carry it all home and then get my own Alpine out of the garage and go for a bit of a blast around the locality. And it's interesting, they are they are um, competitors, I think. <clears throat> it's interesting, the, the, the Lotus is just more substantial. You can feel the weight in it. It weighs an extra 300 kilograms and you can feel it. Mm. And it's also got this Toyota-based V6, which more poke than my car. Yeah. Um, and smoother, very turbine-like. I mean, guess you know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, I drove it a bit last summer. Yeah, I was a bit. I've. I wish it had a bit more character. I think when you really wind it up, it's great. Mm. But, but it's it's just a bit sort of almost not there. And the things that impressed me were things that you never impressed in in previous Lotuses by interior quality. Mm-hmm. You know, when did that ever happen? And and uh, you know, I've had. Nine lotuses, haven't I? And like, I can absolutely swear on a stack of Bibles. I've never, <laughs> never been impressed by the interior, by the interior quality. quality. But um, I was, I was impressed by how my car um, held up because of because of the lightness. Lightness yeah. is going to become more and more, I believe, a, a precious co- commodity. Mm. And and every time I get out of the garage, it, you know, you just touch it, touch the throttle with your big toe in it and it just moves yeah. beautiful like that yeah. I mean this goes back to you and your you know your Alston 7 specials and your imps and things like that I mean you're you're a t- t- lightweight man I am I yeah I, I was in the garage with my imp Hillman imp yesterday and I think that probably weighs 700 ish kilo 750 and I was still sort of looking at it thinking yeah, I wonder if I could take any weight out of I wonder <laughs> if I could make anything get, get any weight out of this but what I wonder is should Lotus make the lightest car in any class it competes. I, I think it should be up there. It, it shouldn't. I don't think a situation should obtain where a car that is seen as, as, as broadly competitive can be three hundred kilograms yeah. lighter than, than the nearest Lotus. Now we know that this is an Avora underneath, mm. and that they've been very uh, sensible and uh, pragmatic about. Yeah. Uh, creating the Amira and that it is their last petrol car and all that. And it's a great car. Lots of people are going to have an extremely good time with it. But I think they're going to have to start further towards the ground floor with the next one. Yeah, I I think I agree. I think I think I've, when we've written, when somebody asks for a second opinion column or something like that in a news story and somebody says, what car should Lotus make? I've always gone, well, ultimately, Lotus needs to make cars that people want to buy rather than yeah. not selling enough Evoras or you know, whatever else it's uh, you know whatever else it makes. But having said that, I still there's something about me that says mm, it shouldn't be that much heavier than a direct competitor to it. Yeah, which I think is. But I've, uh, I'm with you, mate. I enjoyed the car a lot. Yeah, yeah. we. I was surprised. 
and I quite like the steering of this is this is turning into a that bloke um, arguing for the car he spent his money on, isn't it? You know, I've always obviously I've always taken the mick out of people who who's you know buy a Toyota Starlet and then think it's the greatest. Oh, like, we get it, don't we? I mean, you you'll know. I but when you when you say to people, they will say, "What do you think of the?" Yeah, and then you know they've got one. Yeah. So you say, fantastic. Fantastic, love it. <laughs> but the thing is, I, I did genuinely enjoy the steering of my car, the A110, mm. better than the Avora, now, than the Amira. Now, um, extra familiarity may change that, but it just seemed to tramline a bit in a way that I am not used to in, mm. the, in the Alpine. Mm. Which, uh, I'm quite pleased with what I bought in the end. No, I don't have a history of lasting very long with cars. I just quit them but I think this will stay I'm with you yeah fab right we're going to take a short break and then Steve and I will be back with Dan Gagan from uh, Vista Heritage just after this what car would you buy if you could buy any car what car would you buy if you knew you could save thousands what car would you buy if you could compare the latest offers from approved dealers what car would you buy if you could do all of this in one place in just a few simple clicks and where would you go to buy that car? What car? Car buying made easy. Visit whatcar.com to buy your next new car. Hello, welcome back to the My Week in Cars podcast with uh, me, Matt Pryor, and him, Steve Cropley, and also special guest for the second half, Dan Gagan, who is the CEO of Vista Motion. Dan, we're here today because 10 years to the day since you picked up the keys to the place where we're sitting now. That's uh, that's right. It's great to be here, but I really mean that because it's it's where we work and where we love. Yeah. Um, tell us what. Tell us how it came about, mate. What's what... well? I mean, it's like the best things in life, it's unexpected. And uh, we were doing a rally about uh, eleven years ago, a friend and I, and he flipped the car. I got rolled out and uh, ended up with a fractured pelvis, and that just it's strange. Um, the idea came to me that we should create a center of excellence for historic cars. So. Um, some say it was a stroke of luck. Uh, How long were you immobilized? Were you, were, you, um, were you sitting around for months or something? Yeah, I had a few months of um, just getting back back on my feet, quite literally. Um, but it turned out to be a lucky break, that old fractured fracture pelvis. And um, here we are today. Um, but at the time, a friend of mine was studying Chinese medicine. And um, he said, could he practice on me? So he was there sort of sticking pins in me. But the deal I made was that he would drive me up and down the M40 to look for airfields. Um, so we used to commute up and down the, uh, to about about here, Junction 9, Junction 10, to see what was about. Um, it was a great outing, and it was great also to see how a one-litre polo um, can cope with motorway traffic. Um, but uh, the result was that another friend sent me the particulars for REF Vista, and that set us on this journey, which um, 10 years ago today, uh, we received the keys, all the keys. But you looked at others, didn't you? Other, it wasn't a matter of stumbling over this and just making a plan. You had the plan, and then you looked for the venue. Yeah, I'm. I mean, as a motoring enthusiast, I had great fun visiting farmyards around the country, getting wiring done and exhaust systems, and meeting the guys. And um, you know, and for me, it was part of my way of life. But I thought in the future, people wouldn't have time um, or inclination to spend their weekends towing cars around the countryside. So. Why not try and create a marina-like environment? It's a bit like having a boat in somewhere you like on the coast where they serve a decent bacon sandwich and they're going to look after you and solve your problems. And 
but that really didn't exist for the historic car world and that was the idea so yeah you're right we had a a bit of a, a brainwave and thought you know let's go and have a look and see what's out there and you know by luck or judgment you know RAF Bista appeared and we thought well you know this could be it what is what was the airfield market like I mean, are there a lot? Are there a lot to choose from? Well, it's strange, isn't it? Um, I mean, I've spent some time, sort of, in private investment around property, and every so often an airfield would come up, and a lot of those were table for residential, and um, and they're ideal because they're they're flat land, um, usually in interesting parts of the country, most and mostly eastern seaboard, uh, that sort of area, and um, I think you see them come out of the, the Ministry of Defence now and again but there wasn't a choice i i was slightly more more proactive and i thought well around here you've got various airfields um and we're just going to see how they operate uh and that's that's the start of the journey really somebody said in fact we've just uh, heard you talking to your team here um but you talked about having to actually fight your way through the front gate because of all that growth and uh, tell us about that and also the first day and the and the and the Jiffy bag full of keys. <laughs> sure. Um, well, the site was mothballed in 1976. So by the time we got here, it was, was Niles 40 years. And all of that um, history, that 40-year history, was, was evident as you got to the gate because there was a, a rusty padlock and you'd slide, you had to slide that um, the, the lock open and the trees uh, and the dilapidation was really self-evident. But Perhaps we were a little misty-eyed and, you know, our rose-tinted spectacles, whatever euphemism we want to use, and um, thought, wow, we're here, we've got it. Uh, and on that day, we were met by a representative of the Defence Infrastructure Organisation, as it's now called, uh, and we were handed the keys. We didn't quite know what that handover would feel like or look like, but lo and behold, there was a jiffy bag, you know, hundreds of sets of keys, everyone carefully labelled as you'd expect of a an RAF site. And the first day you come in, you come through the gate, you're given the keys. How do you spend your first day? Um, when I look back on it, um, you know, it was far from a regular day. I, I think I was apprehensive about how the news would be received. Um, we, we had ended up, um, you know, acquiring a site of historic importance because of the design the mid 1920s the um the Hugh Trenchard era so Hugh Trenchard uh and it was the last remaining intact pre-war bomber station in Britain untouched and you know um god, god bless it for that um so despite the dilapidation at least it hadn't been interfered with it was kind of a perfect thing and you know it's it's one thing having one card out of the playing card set but when you've got all the playing cards you know this beautifully designed airfield um and technical site um, what a rare opportunity was. So the feeling was, um, you know, thrill, a sense of um, it being rather surreal. Um, yeah, I mean, we've all hopefully, you know, experienced buying a, a something, a car, a house, and that sense of well-being coupled with um, intrepidation, probably. Um, but I was, I had a couple of good friends with me, and um, we kind of eyed each other up and down, and thought right well you know let's go and get a, a coffee and have a good walk around was it daunting was it scary because there was a huge amount to do in we've just been watching a video that you've made first of 10 i gather this year um 
um, and that shows what a state it was in compared with now. It must have been scary contemplating that, even though you you have a history of knowing how to develop property. I think there's blind faith. I think every person who starts a business or um, you know uh, a car restoration, you know, you don't see what other people see necessarily, um, and. It, it, yes, it's not a rational thing to do to buy an old car and take it apart and try and fill in the holes and get it running again and compete with it, for example. But there's something that um, that pushes us, drives us to bring that back to life. And it was the same here that, you know, it's a bit like uh, making a speech at your wedding. You know, you, you're nervous about it, but you know it's a good thing and you, you've got your friends around you and there's a greater good component which both pushes you and draws you. Um, but even today, I think you only need to walk around the site to be somewhat becalmed by its environment and the trees, and there's a sense of faith around it. it um, I liked your, it. your expression earlier when you were talking. You were talking about a conviction business. Just, just tell us a little bit about what's here now, not just the the heritage site, which is in a pretty high state of development, isn't it? But there, but there are three other quarters that you're going to go for. Could you just outline those briefly? Sure. Um, I mean, the history of the site was really about cutting-edge technology and excitement. And with what's happening in mobility, particularly automotive, um, there's a really exciting opportunity to become the location for all of the exciting things that the science, innovation, and technology around automotive. We have in hand a million square feet of planning consents, um, which will enable us on our currently blank canvas, um, to cater for that development, that innovation. I mean, you guys will be as more aware than everybody what's happening on the planet in terms of net zero and trying to bring mobility motion into a, a state of responsibility that we don't degradate our environment further than, than, than we ought or have to or, or should do. And, um, what doesn't exist in the world is a place where a location where there's a cluster to really capitalize on that that knowledge economy to develop great products for for the world yeah. to travel more sustainably and we have a number of uh, we always joke five quarters but we have a number of quarters um so it just shows how ideas come out <laughs> uh, We've got the innovation. We've got the heritage quarter, of course, which is where which we're is where we're sitting now. Yeah. Uh, then the innovation quarter will be our next development, uh, which is a range of buildings in a campus-style setting to um, to promote um, the synergies between businesses that want to develop new things. Uh, and beyond that, uh, we have a wilderness quarter. It's a retired quarry which used to be part of the RAF site, which we really want to bring back in an eco ecological and environmental way has two or three lakes there um, and then the experience quarter where we believe people will come and experience uh, what the mobility world has to offer rather like you know we all remember 10 or 20 years ago going to an Apple store uh, not because we necessarily wanted to look at the computers but it was cool it was fun it was innovative and lo and behold um, and in front of me are two gentlemen both tapping away on um, computers with with pieces of fruit on the back um, and you just had to belong to that community. Um, so um, there is really plenty of opportunity to try and present an integrated site which creates that excitement and that cutting edge, but 
invites in the the people who are end, going to end up using it, which of course is us. We yeah. we want to be part of that that journey. How do you reckon? Do you have a view of? I mean, this is just a, it's a shocking hacks question, but um, how do you view the next ten years? I mean, clearly you'll develop your quarters, you know, your other areas, but how will you maintain the the, the intimacy of this place and the and the friendliness? And because Matthew and I were having a bit of an exchange earlier about how it makes you feel this place. I mean, if it were, you know, if the if the the number of attendees were to travel, travel, and it all cost a lot of money. And you, you, you must, you must reflect on that stuff. We really do. Um, I think what we've learned from this site, which is almost a hundred years old, is <clears throat> a lot of that can be promoted through design. So the the heritage quarter has lots of quads. The buildings are of a human scale. There's opportunity for interaction. It's low density. Um, it has a sense of arrival, a sense of belonging. And I think those are all things we're we're very conscious of in designing whatever we do next. You know, we're putting up grey sheds is easy to do, but it wouldn't suit a long-term vision for a site like this. And it's also uh, endemic in, or intrinsic rather, in the the people who work here. So trying to work with like minds, with similar cultures and values, also creates that feeling that you can stop anybody walking down the street and ask for. Um, a view or what do you think about and there is a real sense of community here um, so I work with um, the, you know, uh, people in, who are masters of their field and um, designing the customer journey is probably the, the modern way of thinking about it or, or talking about it but in in essence we're trying to create a an environment that is human and humane and somewhere you want to go to and belong um and that in this building we have a, a group of people who not only really want to be here but we want to do the best we possibly can and, and we have the, the backgrounds and the expertise to do it as a keen attendee i'm i'm glad to know your eyes on it hmm. your eye in particular <laughs> and if people want to come down when is their next chance to visit bisterity Mr. Heritage, uh, we have um, a number of scrambles uh, throughout the year, um, but I think the, 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 we're 10 years old this year. We, we have Flywheel Festival, which coincides with Father's Day uh, in the middle of June. Um, I like to think of that as Father's Weekend um, for, for uh, personal reasons. Um, so that would be a fantastic opportunity to see the, the wings and wheels nature of of what we've achieved so far, but also there will be glimpses of the future. And we're really looking forward to showing um, visitors how we do what we do and why we do it. And really inviting people to join, enjoying the community. So to join the community um, uh, and have a great weekend. Dan Gagan, the CEO of Bista Motion. Thanks very much for joining us. That was good, Steve, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. I like being here. Well, it's amazing what they've achieved, these guys, isn't it? I, I think... Uh... I just love the way it makes you feel. Yeah, I, we talked about this earlier. It makes it, it, I mean, you said it, it feels a bit like home, doesn't it? And yeah. I, I mean, I live three miles away, so it falls. So I wonder if it was just me. But Is it when, three miles? I thought it was Oh, close. it might be less than that. Yeah, <laughs> so it's about three minutes. But I, but it, so, I, so, I, yeah, so I'm always intrigued by that, whether it's just the fact that, you know, it, 
I do live on this road effectively, you know, whether it was just the fact that it made me feel like home because it's so close to home or whether it feels like home just because it's so warm and welcoming and fuzzy. And I think it's the, I think it's the latter. Well, a bit of both for you. But as soon as you drive through the gate, there's this extremely nice bloke on the gatehouse, Mm. sort of old style RAF gatehouse guy called Neil, who always recognize you and says, welcome. And, you know, wants you to come in, you know, how often does that happen? It's pretty pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, right, on with the rest of the pod. Should we talk my column briefly? Certainly. Oh, it's not that. It's not that. So when I was a kid, right, we had the Mini Clubman Scalextric GT. Uh, there was a 1275 GT, a, a red and a yellow Mini that I remember from my youth. And, of course, then the 1275 GT Mini Clubman, whatever, died in the early 1980s, was forgot, long forgotten about. But uh, the new Mini, BMW Mini, reintroduced the Clubman in 2007, 2008 or something. There have been two generations and it's just off sale now. The, the second one's just gone. I don't know if there's going to be a third one. They haven't said either way. But they've just done this special edition of, oh, I can't remember, those, uh, not 1,969 units, I oh, think. Oh, that's yeah. when the first one came out or something like that. I, it just sort of struck me. I, I, I don't know. It's, is there, are there that many people who are that keen on mini clubmans that there needs to be a special edition run out of limited number... They've just done an Audi TT iconic edition, and I, I kind of get that. There's a hundred of them. They're all the 2.5 TT RS models, and you go, oh yeah, I can see why that would be a, why that would be a thing. I'm not, I don't know. I didn't. It just didn't occur to me that the Clubman was, is it is its weird estate that it has become. Is yeah. that is that beloved a, a model in the mini thing? But maybe I don't know. Maybe it is. Well, I guess I, it. I think it goes to to something. I can remember interviewing Ferdinand Piesch. Remember the scary boss of VW? Yeah. And I can remember asking him why they had built the same car as a Skoda, an Audi, a VW, and a Seat. Mm. And he said, it's because you go fishing, when you go fishing, if you have four fishing lines, you may not get four times as many um, fish, but you'll get more than one. And, And I suspect that some bright spark has thought, here's a chance to, to sort of stimulate the dealers and you know get rid of a few cars that we might not otherwise have sold and I, I i think it's it's not exactly cynical but it's but it's a piece of marketing stuff marketing stuff yeah when i was a kid before the days of the internet and before i was i thought because i just my only exposure to mini clubmans was or 1275 gts were these two scale trick versions i thought all the red and yellow the red and yellow yeah and i I thought, therefore, anything with those with that sort of squared off the the, the bulkier front end. Yeah. I thought that was. I thought all of those were the fast one. I yeah. just thought, well, that's the quick one. That's it. I didn't realise that actually it was only the twelve seventy five GT versions of those that were the quick ones, and that actually you could still buy a fairly plodding yeah. version as well. I just thought at Mini Clubman that was that was it. It's funny how that sort of phraseology saw. It's very appealing, though, isn't it? Yeah. I tell you what, I confession, I got fairly close to. To buying one, there was a bloke I knew who was who'd, one of these people who would rather restore than drive, mm-hmm. and he finished a, a beautiful, sort of a fawn-coloured Clubman GT, mm-hmm. 075 GT, yeah. and it was for sale, and I sort of teetered, but the trouble is I just couldn't see how I would use it, but mm-hmm. uh, I see the appeal all right, and what a beautiful little car, what an, what an amazing piece of work in, yeah. in in retrospect i would i would still quite fancy a 1275 gt i've got to say have you owned a mini 
Um, yes, but not not for many years. Um, in Australia, um, Morris Eight Fifty, you know, a thing compared with as it was called there, so complete with the starter on the floor and a spaghetti lever and no super and the and the big door pockets that you could just about stand in, you know. But but uh, I remember it for its bald tires because you could slide it, you know, you could do your paddy hop curtain oh, with wet bends. It was great fun, fantastic. Right, one more time for one more. I think we'll do it from your column. A vehicle length. Why does it make? You're right here. You you've given an example of what a Fiesta to a Focus being thirty centimeters. Something was it? Yeah, or we, less. We sort of eleven inches or something. Yeah. Um, but it may, but a small amount of perceived length yeah. is a huge difference to your perception of the car. Is what yeah. is is you think? I I do. I can't figure out why it is. I mean, you remember. We've we've droned on too much about the Ford Raptor, which I we both enjoyed recently. But I mean that thing is five point three, five point four long. Mm. A focus is four point four, four point ish long. So you're talking about a meter, which is you know, what is it? The strength of somebody's arm. Yeah. And yet the perceived size difference is massively large, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and when you go in the Tesco car park, you're sure as hell know it's there too. I just I've never got used to it. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I, I parked that Raptor on the in the works car park over the road, the multi-story over the road the other day, and the amount that you know, I reversed it right up till the point where the tow hitch mount was backed into the barrier. Yeah, and the, it still was overhanging the front of the bay by what I thought was an, a borderline antisocial extent. I was thinking, oh crikey, it's sticking so far, it's so far, and yet somehow a car that was half a meter a meter shorter. I'd be well short of the barrier, and it wouldn't have bothered me at all. It is so weird, isn't it? Weird. It is so weird. I wonder what. I wonder how much difference height makes to our perception, because it's only taking up more air, so it's not. Yeah. You know, it's, it's. I think it's about in in the case of cars like that, it's about cross-sectional area. Mm. You know, when you stand behind it and look at the, just how much area there is. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, are you any closer to knowing whether you're going to push the button on a Ranger Raptor or not? Oh God! I'm look. I'm back to. I'm back to. I know it's a ridiculous compromise, but I've been around the houses with these EVs. I think a person like me needs to have some EV experience, right? Mm -hmm. The 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 EV I I know I would buy now would be an i four. Um, forty. You know, yes. The two wheel drive car. BMW. There's a four series, three series. Sized, four series sized? Yeah, yeah. four series sized. Yes. Um, because it rides well, it steers well. Mm. It's got a fit, 0 to 60 or 5.6, and it's got a 350 mile range. Mm. That seems to me to be um, a selection of, of properties that almost nothing else offers. And I think a responsible thing for a bloke like me to do would be to spend his money on one of them. Mm. There's there's a load of second-hand ones around that. Okay. Because the prices have dropped, as we've heard, mm. EV prices have dropped. However, <laughs> every time, every time I see a Raptor, it just it just gives me a feeling in the in the in the sort of middle of the chest, like yeah. it. And I, I've just got to resolve it, and and soon. But I'm still messing about. What would you? Right, go on. Sorry, we're running over on time. For not careful, but let's. What would you use them for? respect you wouldn't use them for the same thing or would you use them for the same thing well i do this sounds really sad but i do a lot of recreational driving when i 
need to calm down a bit or I need to just sort of do some something enjoyable. I know I'll enjoy. I just go for a drive. Mm. And I luckily live in a place in the Cotswolds where I love the roads, I love the scenery. There are probably six or seven different routes on different points of the compass from my house where I know I'll enjoy. Sometimes I, I mean, I'm such a sad star that I carry in the back of the duster a folding chair, and sometimes I sort of stop and sit in the middle of a copse and listen to the birds, you know. Now, that that's a shocking confession, and people are going to... That's wrong. It's, but, but enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with sitting and listening to the birds. Well, anyway, the, anyway. the thing is, I go driving, yeah. and I would do it in either car. Mm. I think that <clears throat> I just find them both interesting. You know, I do think it's... EVs need to be need to progress by getting more sort of road capable and a lot of them aren't in, in the ways I like you know refinement low speed ride and that's what appeals to me about the BM mm. but I also like the sort of last opportunity thing of the you know twin turbo V6 lovely damping great big block of flats structure I was born in the middle of Australia where everybody had a ute yeah and my childhood seemed to be half full of trips to the dump, sitting on top of piles of junk, you know, that was going to get get ditched out of this ute. So utes are in my blood. And I have an old motorbike that would fit very nicely in the tray. Oh, that's handy. Yeah. I asked an Australian journalist the other week who was posting on uh, social about the Ranger Raptor. And I said, what is the, what is the opportunity like? I said, you know, I, lo I really enjoy it, but I don't know how much space I'd find to use it in the UK. What's it like in Australia? He said, mate, you could just drive it until the fuel tank ran dry and you wouldn't see another person. And I kind of like, uh, I could, if I live, if I lived there, I could absolutely see it. Yeah. And I don't know how much I'd use one here to its, the best of its ability. The thing is, I've, I've borrowed a few pickups over the last year or two and, even for, you know, taking the missus to get a coffee in the morning, mm. we still found ourselves in this dopey four-cab pickup, two or four-door pickup, which didn't fit the car parking space. I mean, it's antisocial, I guess, but the, my my fig leaf would be that I do have this old 1913 motorbike that yeah. would fit in the trailer, in the tray, instead of having a horrible trailer. Yeah. And um, perhaps I'd use it for that a bit. Yeah, quite handy, that. Yeah. So I don't know, Okay, but well, we'll revisit next week and the week after and several weeks after until you push the button. And then, even then we won't stop. So, Excellent, Steve. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for listening to My Week in Cars. You can find us over at autocart.co.uk. But Steve's columns, plenty of other features, you'll only find in the magazine, which is available on digital subscription uh, and in print as it has been every week since 1895. There is a video of the Ranger Raptor, actually, as well as a Ford... Uh, do a new video this week, Ford Focus ST versus Toyota GR86 on track. We should also say, shouldn't we, that to see Dan Gagan's um, first video about the, the 10 years of Mr. Heritage, oh, yeah. um, it's available on their website. Very nice piece of work. Yeah, lovely piece of work, isn't it? Beautifully done. Yeah. And Steve and I will be back, although not here, and uh, probably not with that, probably not with a guest, and probably in a bit shorter turn uh, next week for episode thirty of My Week in Cars. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.